0: Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1. Now before I get into this chapter, I want to go over the candlestick one more time. It has seven lights on it that represent the seven spirits of God, or in better terminology, the seven character traits of God's Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. There's many character qualities in the Bible that refer to the Father and his personality. There is a place in Isaiah where it lists 5 of them, but you never see all 7 in the Bible. But when I was reading the book of Enoch a few years ago, I found out that they are listed in the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch is not part of the Bible. It doesn't say anything that contradicts scripture. It refers to the Son of God as the Anointed One, the Righteous One, which we know are names for Jesus. You don't need to read it to be saved. Anyway, the Book of Enoch is the only place where I've seen seven spirits listed in one place. And it's listed in Enoch chapter 62, verse 11. It says, On that day shall raise one voice, and bless and glorify and exalt in the spirit of faith, and in the spirit of wisdom, and in the spirit of patience, and in the spirit of mercy, and in the spirit of judgment, and of peace and in the spirit of goodness, and shall all say with one voice, Blessed is he, and may the name of the Lord of Spirits be blessed forever and ever. There's the one place where I have found that seven major spirits, which are character traits, are all listed in the same place, and they all refer to God. Faith, Wisdom, Patience, Mercy, Judgment, and Peace and goodness. That does add up to seven. You might say, why does God need faith? Well, Jesus, his son, had to exercise faith as a man on earth. Because he came to earth, he did have to exercise faith to resist sin, to obey the Father, to go all the way to the cross, to always go where the Holy Spirit led him. It takes a lot of faith to obey the Father and never deviate. And that's what Jesus did. So he did practice faith. Wisdom. It goes beyond knowledge. It means understanding truth because Jesus Christ is truth. Truth is above facts. It's hard for me to explain, but truth is spiritual. Facts are earthly, if that makes any sense. Two plus two equals four, and that's a fact. But truth is Jesus Christ, and that he died for our sins. And he died to liberate us from the bondage of sin, so that we can live righteous and holy lives. That's truth. It's at a higher plane. How did God exercise patience? You know, we are going to learn how patient he was with the Israelites for 40 years when they are sinning almost the whole time. And look at my life and your life and how patient he has been. I didn't become born again until I was 43. And that is a long time for God to wait for me to come around and see the light. That was a lot of waiting. God's patience is unbelievable. Mercy, of course, is basically the same as forgiveness. In spite of our sin, he still wants to forgive. And judgment means making everything right. Those who are persecuted and punished on earth, if they follow Christ, in heaven they'll have their reward. And that's justice. And then those who turn their backs on Jesus, they will go to hell and that's justice too. And peace. It means that man is not held accountable for his sin, so he is not an enemy of God. It means that man and God are friends. That's what peace is. And we can't be friends unless we repent and we're forgiven and we belong totally to Christ. But when that happens, there is peace between us and God goodness, God is very good because He, even to evil people, He gives them children, He gives them careers, He gives them cars and houses, He gives them food and clothing. He takes care of even evil people and that's because of His goodness. And He made beautiful things. He made beautiful animals, beautiful plants, beautiful people. He gives us the health that we have. He keeps us going even when we're not healthy, even when we shouldn't be going. And that's the goodness of God. I have arthritis, But it basically never hurts me I don't have to take any medication for it And that's because of the goodness of God All these things are major character traits of God And you could meditate on these for hours and days and and years And never fully understand the depth of them But all of these things come from the Lord That's what I think the seven lights represent. I think, now I could be wrong, but I think one represents faith, one represents wisdom, one represents patience, one represents mercy, one represents judgment, and one represents peace. So going on with verse 1 in Leviticus. Chapter 1, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spoke unto him out of the tent of meeting, saying, 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When any man of you bringeth an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd or of the flock. 3. If his offering be a burnt offering of the herd, he shall offer it a male without blemish. These are the instructions for the burnt offering. There's different kinds of offerings, and each offering means something different. The burnt offering represents total surrender and total dedication to God. When you bring the burnt offering, you are telling God that you're totally surrendered to Him. You're all in. You don't have one foot in and one foot out with God. You're giving Him everything in your life. This offering is completely consumed by fire. No part of it will be eaten by the priests or the people. God consumes all of it in fire. It has to be a male from the herd or the flock. So it can't have any sickness, it can't be lame, it can't have a blind eye, it can't be missing anything. It can't be missing an ear or anything like that. It has to be a completely whole and perfect animal. That represents that Jesus was without sin. The fact that it's male also represents Jesus Christ and God. God is male and Jesus is male. He shall bring it to the door of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now remember, the altar is in front of the door. Bringing your sacrifice to the door is basically bringing your sacrifice to the altar. And you are in the presence of God. That's why God wanted all the sacrifices to happen at the door of the tabernacle. Because he wanted to witness every sacrifice. And when Jesus died on the cross, it was witnessed by the Father. The Bible says that when Jesus died, the sky went black, there was an earthquake. The father actually mourned the death of his son, and that's why everything went black and there was an earthquake. It's like God closed his eyes and he heaved in sorrow. You know when you're crying so hard that your chest heaves and you shake? That's why I think Why the earth had an earthquake, was because God was crying. And that's why I think the sky went black, was because when you cry, a lot of times you close your eyes and the tears come down. And that's why I think the sky went black. God witnessed the sacrifice of his own son. And in the Old Testament, he witnessed the sacrifice of every single animal. Every single animal was sacrificed in God's presence. He has to bring it to the door of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So if the sacrifice is done elsewhere, it won't be accepted. For and he shall lay his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. The sinner who has sinned, that is the person who puts his hand on the animal's head. It's either a male sheep or a male cow. I guess they're called steers. He puts his head on the animal and his sin is imparted into that animal. Now the animal is not a sinner. The animal has done nothing wrong, but the animal becomes the sin of that man, spiritually speaking. That doesn't mean the animal is evil or that it's guilty of anything, but it takes on the burden of that man's sin. Five and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall present the blood and dash the blood round about against the altar that is at the door of the tent of meeting. The sinner the man who's bringing the sacrifice, who has sinned, he's the one who has to kill the animal by slitting its throat, its jugular vein. And then the priest catches the blood in a basin, and the animal is dead before all the blood is drained out, because the animal goes unconscious. The priest captures the blood in the basin, and the priest is the one who sprinkles the blood. He dashes it around the altar that's at the door of the tent of meeting. So he might be using a hyssop branch to dash it. I'm not sure exactly what he's using. 6. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Flaying it means skinning it. Now this is after it's dead. There's no animal torture. 7. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire upon the altar and lay wood in order upon the fire. The priests, they're the ones who sprinkle the blood and they're the ones who prepare the altar for the fire. The man who brings the animal doesn't do that stuff. 8 And Aaron's sons the priests shall lay the pieces and the head and the suet in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. The suet is the fat on the kidneys and the loins. But the inwards and its legs shall be washed with water, the gut parts and the legs are washed with water. And the priest shall make the whole smoke on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. This smells good to God. When the offering is given, God loves the smell of it. To him it's a sweet fragrance because the Lord loves to forgive. And this is the signal to the Lord that he will now be able to forgive the sins of the person. There's nothing sweeter to God than to forgive our sins, but we do have to repent. And that's why God loves a contrite heart. A contrite heart is a sorry heart. It's a repentant heart. And God is delighted when we repent. Because he's going to get to forgive. 10. And if his offering be of the flock, whether of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without blemish. Same thing, no blemishes. 11. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. If it's northward, that means it's to the right of the door, toward the right hand, if you're facing the door of the temple. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall dash its blood against the altar roundabout. Twelve, And he shall cut it into pieces. Now this is if it's a lamb. Which is kind of similar instructions whether it's a lamb or a cow. But God is always very very specific so that they don't get it wrong. And the priest shall lay them with its head and its suet in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. 13 But the inwards and the legs shall he wash with water. And the priest shall offer the whole, and make it smoke upon the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. They have to wash the innards and the legs, but all of it gets burnt. But why do they wash the legs? Is it because everything is draining onto the legs? The only thing I can figure is that it's because when Jesus was stabbed on the cross, you know, after he died, they stabbed him in the side, and a bunch of water and blood came pouring out. And then when it poured out, it would have poured out on his legs. Online, it also says that the inwards symbolize the state of your heart, and the legs symbolize the state of your walk with the Lord. So it's purifying your walk with the Lord and purifying your heart. 14 And if his offering to the Lord be a burnt offering of fowls, meaning birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. Only turtle doves and pigeons are allowed as offerings. They're not considered unclean like eagles, hawks, and owls are all considered unclean. And I think it's because those are meat eaters and they eat carcasses sometimes. The clean animals have to be animals that do not eat dead carcasses. That's why he says that they can sacrifice turtle doves and pigeons, because they don't eat meat. Bring God the best you can. So if you're rich, you would bring the steer. If you're a middle class, you would bring the male lamb. If you're poor and you can't afford the steer or the lamb, then you will bring two little birds. And they shall be either turtle doves or pigeons. 15. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar and pinch off its head and make it smoke on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be drained out on the side of the altar. There isn't that much blood in a bird, but I guess the best way to to get the blood out is to just pinch the head off and then drain the blood from there. 16, And he shall take away its crop with the feathers thereof, and cast it beside the altar on the east part, in the place of the ashes. The feathers in the crop, if they go on the east, that means they go in the front of the altar, which is facing the entrance of the courtyard, and it's opposite the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting seventeen, and he shall rend it by the wings thereof, so he's gonna break the wings off. Now this is after the animal is dead, because it's gonna die once he pinches the head off. Now after it's dead he's gonna break the wings off, but shall not divide it asunder, and the priest shall make it smoke upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. The bigger animals are always chopped in into sections when they're laid on the fire. But the birds are never chopped into sections. And we saw that back in Genesis when Abraham gave his sacrifice to the Lord. He did not cut up the birds. He only cut up the bigger animals when he and the Lord made a covenant. So it's gonna burn whole. But the priest will break the wings. I think he may have broke the wings because it would allow the wings to be separated like an expanse across the altar so that they're not getting burned in a little ball like the animal isn't in a ball but it's stretched out on the altar. That's just a guess on my part. And the part about pinching The head off shows the brutality of how Christ was killed. People beat him. There was brutality involved. It could also be to ensure that the animal dies with the least amount of suffering. Because you've heard stories before of when people chop a chicken's head off and it's still alive and it runs around. It's being tortured because it doesn't have its head. The bird might die faster, not by a knife. And that's because when humans touch an animal and squeeze it, when it's close to death, a lot of times the fear the person will make the animal die. It'll push them over the edge. For instance, I once saw a police officer. It was his job to remove a deer from the road that got hit, but the deer wasn't dead yet. So all the police officer did was he put his foot on the neck of the deer, and then the deer instantly passed away and died. And it was because of the fear of being touched by man made it go over the edge to death. Whereas being hit by the car, which is a piece of metal, it was still alive, but it was suffering. The police officer put his foot on the neck and then the deer instantly died. What I'm thinking is the physical touch of man helps to be sure that it's dead. So that it's definitely not still alive when it loses its head. That's just a guess on my part. You know how God loves his animals and he never wants them tortured? We'll come across laws in the book of Leviticus that protect animals from torture and being mistreated. This could be one of God's ways that he thought, well, if they cut its head off, it won't always be dead. But if they pinch its head off, then it will be dead. And that concludes Leviticus chapter 1.